This is the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast, where we cover books, beverages, and the general BS of the day. A few disclaimers, we are not literary experts, or experts in anything for that matter, and explicit content should be expected. I am your host, Barry Price. I hope you enjoy the show. Episode four, y'all ready to do it? Yes, sir. Do it. <laughs> so uh, this is pandemic part two, finally coming out of the quarantine a little bit, at least here in Texas and South Carolina too, I believe. Just a little bit, not not much, to, not as much as over there in Texas. I've been to two different grocery stores today and didn't have to stand in line at either one. So. What? Uh, Yeah, back to normal, just about. So I kind of wish everybody would go back home. (laughs) Uh, All right, we've actually got a couple of books to cover this week. Jared's been getting after it, apparently. Uh, Got Swamp Fox, Alone on the Wall, and then a couple of uh, economics and statistics books on John's end. (laughs) We'll touch briefly on those. Jared, do you want to give us a synopsis of both of yours? Yeah, I, I, I can. So, wait, 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 wait. Okay, all right. What are you drinking, Jared? Oh, man, I got, I, I have one of my favorites right here from Highland Brewing out of Asheville. Apparently the orig- original brewery, um, the, uh, the Oatmeal Porter. One of, one of, one of my favorites. And Highland is where we saw... Gary Clark Jr. One of their concerts over there, but that was awesome. Gotcha. Oatmeal Porter. Is that by Wicked Weed? Huh? Is that by Wicked Weed? No, it's by Highland. No. Oh, okay. It's near near Wicked Weed. Near. Speaking of Wicked Weed, just since since we're on it already, I wanted to uh, bring up when we were in Asheville. And it was me and John and a, another individual. We're standing in line to get into to Wicked Weed, which was a brew had a they were a brewery too, if I remember right. Yeah. Anyways, next door there's a little honky tonk type place, probably not called a honky tonk up there. Well, this other fellow's favorite band was playing there, and he just hopped right on over, bailed on dinner, went and saw the show. <laughs> <laughs> this was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this was back back in the days before Uber, so not only did that happen, at midnight when the concert was over, John had to go back down there and <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we would have done the same thing if it was Bingham. Yeah, yeah, if it was Bingham we'd have been there or anybody, really. So, y'all y'all didn't know that this band was playing. He didn't either. He just happened to see it on a board and like, oh, snap. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we were standing, the lines were running parallel to each other. And he's like, I wonder who's playing. And looked up and it was, I think it was Band of Horses, which I think is still a favorite band of his to this day. So, <laughs> where, where was that? Was that at the Orange Peel or the, the Silver Eagle? 
Great, great eagle. I don't know. It was it was right next door to Wicked Weed. Is all I know. Oh yeah, that's the orange orange eagle. Sounds about right. Anyway, so didn't want to derail too far. But that was something I had thought about after I re-listened to last week's episode. Uh, John drinking water, dipping. Yes, sir. <laughs> what are you dipping on? I've actually I've been doing a Skull Apple Blend because I can't get my regular brand right now. It must be your birthday or something, man. <laughs> <laughs> Skull Apple. Ugh. I'm about, I'm about taking a dip in again during all this stuff. <laughs> you know, Barry, I remember when when we we started, like when I started dipping, you had already been dipping a long time. But this was during the Ranger days. We were talking about different kinds of dip because, well, we were we were doing like bottom of the barrel stuff. Like I'm talking like Longhorn, the stuff we could find, <laughs> and uh, and you, <laughs> someone brought up. The skull. What what is it? Apple or it's like skull mint or something. Peach, peach skull was always my favorite. Peach skull, and you're like, I only buy that stuff when it's my birthday. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard, dude. Maybe. If I took a dip of peach skull today, I would be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> but Grizzly Wintergreen was always my go-to for the longest time. It's hard uh, not to smell it and and not want to dip. Oh no. oh no! It's hard to be in a car for more than seven minutes and not want want one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to the book. Oh yeah, so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with Swamp Fox. I like. It took me a while to read it because I picked it up every every now and every now and then. I, I didn't read it. Straight through, so I've since kind of forgotten some of the past details, but basically it kind of outlines how much of a badass Francis Marion actually was, and, and just the detail they go into living in the swamp and just their lifestyle of back in the day during the revolution is insane. Those were some hard people, man. Like, I don't know. Better men than us. It, I mean, it's crazy, but it goes into the, the tactic of guerrilla warfare, <clears throat> which he was the, the the creator of, and uh, how he used it to his advantage throughout the uh, throughout the revolution. And uh, it was just really interesting. There's a field in Utahville, South Carolina, that has one of those historical placards on. You never really paid any mind, but in the book, he they talk about there was one of the bloodiest battles during the revolution happened in this field that I've driven by many times and never really even thought about. And just, I think going back past it, I want to look at it a little different light, you know. So were they, was he, was he living in South Carolina? Yeah, he, so he, wow, man, where was he born? He, he was low country through and through. He, uh, like I said, it's, I, I, the book was so spread out for me reading it that I couldn't. It's hard, hard for me to. 
remember a lot of the details. I mean, because it's jam-packed. So the book itself is like 280 pages. The references are 100 pages. Heavily, heavily indexed. Yes, man, and and it's it's, it's pretty cool. And they go into detail like a lot of lot of the history of like Monk's Corner back. Oh, so nice! So that that was that was pretty neat. Ran the British off here, and the Big and Creek Trail. There is some pretty significant events that went down over there, and you know the church right across from the Tillerace Canal here in town. So is that where you run at? Yeah, that's that's like just a little trail just down the road from me. But but uh, alone on the wall. That is cool. So, during Free Solo, I don't think the book, I don't, I don't think the movie really goes into the detail. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I saw it a while back ago. But, okay. just, <laughs> <laughs> so they, they really go into the detail of like what he was thinking. Did they interview him a lot? Uh, yeah, I don't know what, I don't remember a lot of the interviews. One thing I I remember him talking on Rogan is in his little journal he kept, he had each, basically each finger placement the whole way up the wall. Yeah. Kind of noted in his journal. Yeah, and he, he, he goes into like the route of planning of going in, clearing out finger holds days before a, a free solo, moving plants, cleaning out the finger holes and chalking them up. So by the time that the the actual climb came, he had it all in his head. He knew that the he knew the holes are clean, and it, it it's, it's it's impressive how much work actually goes into went into it. So. In the in free solo though, it seemed like they made it seem like he just woke up one morning and was like, "Okay, I'm going." Was that no. not the case? Okay. No, no, no. So they he there it goes into like a lot of the film crew too. So how they thought they were putting pressure on him to do it is a thing. But Alex Honnold, he knew that they needed him to do it, and he needed himself to do it just to be successful and basically just to make a living. They right. Needed, they needed something big. So he knew that he needed that and that they needed that as well. So basically that there was no pressure and basically called them some pussy sometimes because they kept asking him if he really called the film crew. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, let's, let's do this. But shit, yeah. I wouldn't want to be filming it though either. That, that was stressful. Even, I mean, I knew how it all turned out, but yeah. it's still, Stressful Exactly. Yeah, the first attempt on the wall, you know how he backed off? He and he goes into detail like as he was climbing the first section that it was just uh like how everything was off. And then he had he had he basically had to call it and then how everything was different. The film crew the film crew basically made themselves invisible. Although they knew what he was gonna do. Alex said on his second attempt that he's gonna climb the wall and the film crew was ready. He he didn't have to tell them anything. He just, they were already in place. They were already in place and they just because being around someone you you kinda sense when Something big like that is going to happen. So. Yeah. Well, it seemed like 
was. It seemed like in the in the documentary they had they already had cameras set up on the wall too, kind of in certain Yeah. You know, the two or the two or three more complex areas. Yeah. They were they were basically hanging there well before he even started his trip. I mean they were camping on top of the on top of the mountain. It was interesting. Very interesting read. He's an interesting guy. Yeah, well that's that probably <laughs> speaks for itself. The whole time we were watching it, Kathy goes, What? This kid's parents fucked him up bad. I'm like <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but You didn't really go into like his parent life too much, but he talked about taking, I think he has a pretty good relationship with his mom. I don't know. He, he didn't talk about his dad a lot. I don't know. I feel like his dad died uh, yeah. at some point. But his mom seemed like she was overbearing too, probably growing up. So that reminds me of a, a Tosh joke for Joe Jackson and Michael Jackson. Like, you want to beat him just enough to get the creative angst to create the thriller out of him, but not so much that he fucks children. Right. <laughs> Some middle ground. <laughs> Jared, do you recommend both of those books? Yeah, so Swamp Fox, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're really interested in it. In that era, and just the history of it, because, I mean, it is in-depth. I, like, I found myself getting lost a lot, reading a couple pages, and like, what the fuck did I just read? Yeah, or, yeah. You know, it, it was kind of it was kind of tough for me. Alone on the wall, I, I, would, I would recommend that for sure. Just kind of like, if, if you're interested in, in the climbing, rock climbing, yeah. you learn a lot about the sport. Feats, feats of mankind. Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty hardcore. Well, I'd say for this this group, both of those books would probably be a good fit in our handful of listeners, too, probably. Yeah, I'd agree. John, Naked Statistics. Let's hear it. All right, I'm actually going to start with Naked Economics. It's, <laughs> it's by uh, Charles Whelan, who I don't know his credentials, but he essentially <laughs> wrote this book as kind of a supplement to an economics class. To get away from the formulas and the math equations, charts, there's actually no charts in the book. And so it's to help you make sense of everything that you're going through in your economics class. I mean, it's good for anybody just to get basic principles of economics. He goes through all the different things of why government's important, where government needs to stay out of, such as... One reason why governments are good, such as ours, is property boundaries or property rights. We wouldn't be able to thrive if we didn't own what we lived in because we'd have no incentive to take care of it. We wouldn't be able to pass it to our children. He notes that places like the Congo or Nigeria are very rich in natural resources, but they're very poor countries because the government hasn't set up isn't set up to have a thriving economy, whereas you think they would. Venezuela is another example. Rich oil reserves, very poor country. So it starts off with one chapter where it's why the government is good, and then it goes on to why the government's bad. <laughs> so, um, but it, I mean, it's very good to it explains why the Fed does what it does. It's dual mandate of controlling inflation and maximizing sustainable employment 
and how it controls that. You, you okay there, Barry? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was. I felt it was very balanced in its in controlling his bias. He's a Democrat. One of the Amazon reviews. He could control it. (laughs) One of the Amazon reviews is titled Oversimplification of Complex Subjects, Pushing Liberal Politics. Upon reading this book, I quickly started to pick up a few things. The introduction and the book were both involved in some similar techniques and motives. First, I found this book seemed to be written for the impressionable 12-year-old, making the most far-fetched correlations in order to make simple sense out of complex issues. Although this is happening, there was a why Democrats are right intertwined with all of this. It seems like activists are usually either extremely, extremely liberal or the strictest of libertarians. <laughs> what usually well, I heard you uh, well, like, you know, Venezuela. I don't know what all he touched on on that, but. They're an interesting case, and Russia and Saudi Arabia are similar, uh, just as far as they use their oil reserves to to fund their government over taxes. And when oil prices crashed the last time in '14, that that ultimately ended up being Venezuela's big unwinding. So the Saudis and Russia have other other means, but Venezuela did not. So yeah. And the Saudis and the Russians probably have a better government set up, even though it's not ideal. Right. And Venezuela did. But so the reason I started this book is because I'm about to take an economics for decision-making class and for my MBA, and I just kind of wanted a refresher before I went in there. And, it, I mean, it was really good in helping make sense of all that. It was very interesting, too. I have had Naked Economics sitting on my bookshelf since 2009. <laughs> and this yeah, is the I have not read it yet. I've got the first. This one was dish. updated. In. <laughs> the first. Yeah, this dish. one was updated in 2019. <laughs> 2000. I remember seeing a fresh, a fresh one at Barnes and Noble recently. So is it a worthy while read for your your everyday Joe? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's just good to understand what's going on in the world, and I think this is a great primer for that. And well, I can tell you the, that. Should I order the, it right now? Go for it. Yes. <laughs> Jared, you forgot to give your favorite Amazon review. Of your, we'll touch on that next week. I think uh, there's a lot, with all that's going on in the world right now, it's been interesting to see how one thing affects the other, so... Might be a good time to read that book, actually, so you can kind of make sense of all of it. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, it definitely touches on that and globalization and trade across among countries and uh, how that all helps us grow um, and get out of poverty because we are trading with other countries. <laughs> right. Um, what uh, What about statistics? I'll keep, yeah, keep going, sir. Yeah, I actually was about to move into statistics. So this one is the, actually the one I started with. I actually listened to it. This, this is a book about essentially math, and I was able to listen to it and get a lot out of it. And so he starts off explaining how in school he hated math because there was nothing to explain why it's important. And so he was able, but with statistics, he like, these are important. We use these, your GPA, your batting average, your quarterback rating. 
all those things are statistics, and so they're useful in the world. And so that made him interested in it. And he, he gave one example in the book of how he was trying to figure out how an infinite series of numbers can become a finite number. And so he's, he made sense of it by you stand two feet away from the wall. And each time you move in half the distance to the wall. So you start off by going a foot. Then you move in six inches. Then you move in three inches. 1.5, 0. 0.75, 0. 0.375, and on in. And you, you're never going to touch the wall. But you're going to get really close, moving in half the distance each time. So that's an infinite series of numbers that is essentially going to equal two feet, right? Like a, it's like a half-life on a... Yeah, on an element. Get there. So it's essentially two feet. So the infinite series of numbers equals a finite number. Um, so that's what he used to explain that. I'm like, oh, that makes sense because I was never good at math proofs. So it was very useful in how you can manipulate statistics to make yourself look good, how school districts are manipulating statistics to show that they have great graduation rates. Well, how doctors are manipulating statistics on coronavirus deaths. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Um, and I got a lot out of it and I, I'm gonna I'm re- I just started reading it so I can get more out of it because I'm taking a business analytics class here soon I may I may need to hop on statistics I I uh, fun fact about me I have an MBA like John soon will have and in my undergraduate, I took statistics three times before I was able to make it through. So I could never make sense of it. My biggest problem is the professor would draw an entire whiteboard of shit across <laughs> the thing. And you'd get a number. And I'm like, I don't know what that number means. Like, it's not like algebra where you have X number of fish you know it's just we would just have 2.3 i'm like 2.3 of fucking what (laughs) so maybe i understand it a little bit more now that i've kind of seen how it can apply to the real world you know at least the basics of it you know standard deviations and things like that yeah he definitely goes in and covers those things in a way that anybody can understand yeah and I've never taken a statistics class either. Oh, well, I've taken three less than you have. I had a little <laughs> bit of it in my chemistry degree. <laughs> so I did want to do I a should, Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I have only taken one statistics class, but I took it three times. <laughs> I should be an expert. Actually, I think I took one in my, my graduate program, too, but it is a little different. Yeah, so I had a chemistry class. It was analytical chemistry, and they did statistics in there, like confidence intervals and stuff like that. But it was barely touching on it, and I had no idea. I don't remember any of it. So, recommend statistics as well. How was that? Did you listen to that on Audible? I did. And how, how did that a book like that shape out on audiobook? I guess if he doesn't have any, if he doesn't put any charts or graphs or anything or formulas, it probably. He does have charts in this book, uh, but the Audible comes with a PDF. So it'll say reference figure one, and you go to oh, okay. just uh, just of the charts. Hey, what if you're driving down I twenty? How bad do you want to look at it, Jared? <laughs> 
Can you say that again, Jared? You, oh, something yeah, wrong. sorry. I, I, I said, what, what if you're driving down I-20? I listen to it driving to work. Oh. <laughs> uh, I want to admit uh, referencing the yeah. while driving. <laughs> you're going to have the damn federales knocking on your door. <laughs> I'll edit that part out so nobody knows. Your obscene violation of social norms. Um, I mostly listened to it while I was walking, so I could pull it up and not have to pay attention too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, question I've got for y'all. John, do you got any more on Naked Statistics? Uh, just one other comment. He has another book called Naked Money. This is, again, Charles Whelan. And so I ordered that too, and it'll get here when Amazon decides to ship it. So I'm excited to read that one. I Naked Money is a fairly new one on PIS too. I think I'm going to order all uh, of the books we have discussed today. I think well, not economics because I've got it. Swamp Fox by John Aller, right? Yes. Yeah. And then and on the wall by. Uh, it's Alex Honnold. Alex Honnold. Oh, <laughs> and he had to have somebody who actually writes. You want him like Bill O'Reilly's books? I'll have that other guy on it. Yeah, uh, I bet man. Bill O'Reilly's made a hundred million dollars off the Killing series, and he probably didn't write a damn word of it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's David <laughs> Roberts. So, uh, like the book goes through Alex Honnold's. Entry and then David Robert takes over for like the, the last half of the chapter. Or, or, but the last two chapters are written by Alex Hall. Perfect. Perfect. It's all of the Yosemite Club. Uh, and then Naked Statistics, Naked Economics, Charles Whelan. <clears throat> Speaking of the Killing series, I don't know. I can't remember if we talked about this on the last episode or not. Uh, they actually announced a new one will be coming out in September, and it was called Killing... Uh, killing... Crazy Horse? Crazy Horse, Crazy yes. Horse. <laughs> yeah, it's about uh, Bill O'Reilly killing Crazy Horse. The Merciless Indian Wars in America, so I'm sure it's going to touch on all of them. That's going to get dark. That's, yeah, probably. Sad. And Martin Duggard is the guy who probably writes those books, but they stamp Bill O'Reilly's name real big up on there <laughs> to sell, to conservative America. He probably, makes, he probably makes more money doing that than he would on his own. Yeah, I'd, I'd sign right up. Give me 10 cents a book. So, I've been, I've been reading on this iPad and on my phone and the books, the digital books library, man, you just get lost in there for hours. I've got about 50 books on my want to read list. And meanwhile, the book I'm reading is getting, seems like it's getting longer. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'll read for an hour and it'll say 15% done. And then I'll read for another hour and I'm still at 15%. So, uh, which brings me to a question I had for you guys. Me and John talked about this a little bit earlier this week. I'm reading The Stand by Stephen King, which we talked about a little bit last week. It's 1,200 pages, I think, uh, and it's not a large print book. And so, best efforts, it's going to take me three months to read this thing. And so, when you're going through 
if you're reading a book like that, do you have something else you read on the side or do you just dedicate all your time to that one? Because I feel like I'm missing out. I could and normally in three months, I could read, you know, four or five or six books. Yeah, I uh, I usually if it's a really long book, I'll usually have another one to kind of like break it up. Step out of it. What's the longest book you've ever read? Lonesome Duff? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and I was, I, I can't remember which book I was also reading during that time, but the the rest of the three, the other three, I, I read those straight through. Thought I didn't have any other. The rest of the, the other three Lonesome Dove books? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dead Man's Wall, Nancy Moon, and Streets of Laredo. Great book. I, uh, yes, they are. Highly recommend. Stephen King actually has, uh, if you read his memoir on writing, he has a list of books in the back that he recommends, and Dead Man's Walk is on there. The other three aren't, but so it was really? his favorite of the three, yeah. John, how about you? What's your record? Uh, I don't know exactly. It's over 700. It might be up to 1,000. One of those last line books. Uh, about Winston Churchill. Oh yeah, first one. I haven't. I'm halfway through the second one as of last January. <laughs> last about <day>. face. 2019. <laughs> How long is about face? It's oh, seven to eight hundred pages. That one was really good. Jocko recommendation. His favorite book. Yeah. I wonder how many times Jocko's read it. But as far as your conundrum goes, what is, uh, like I told you, what gives you more utility? Finishing this one book or finishing six books that you have a diverse range of topics? Well, finishing the, finishing the six for sure, but, you know, finishing something like The Stand, you know, feels like you're done finished a marathon. So, there's a bit of, you know, there's a certain level of satisfaction to both. My problem with books, you know, like, well, so I'll list three that I've attempted just of Stephen King, The Stand, It, and uh, 11-22-63. They're all 800 plus pages. And I love Stephen King. I think he's probably the best fiction writer maybe of all time. But in those three particular books, the first 300 or 400 pages is just character introduction, basically. And I know, I'm confident that probably the last four to 800 pages is probably worth putting up with all that, but it makes it so damn hard getting through it. So, so I don't know. <laughs> Do you think with the, the, the stand, with it being on a digital copy, that you don't have that physical copy in your hand, so you can't see your progress? You just have a number in the corner that says 15%. You think if you had the copy in your hand to see your progress to, I mean, I think I, that's I've really thought about part of a book. Yeah. I've thought about that. I've thought about that, but, uh, I, I don't know. Cause I don't think I'd be making any fucking progress. <laughs> you know, like page 150 or something. So. <laughs> but, uh, no, I've thought about that. Cause that is, especially on a big book like that. Uh, to see them, to see it shifting, you know, I always like to see, you know, because you can always kind of tell how it's like glued, you know, you can see when you're halfway 
hit the halfway point. So yeah, you don't get that satisfaction. <laughs> but you know, Lonesome Dove's a big ass book too. But he he pieces in just enough action. I mean, it's not necessarily fast moving, you know. Sometimes so, but he keeps it just going enough that you stay interested all the way through. Comanche Moon was the same way. Yeah, it flowed very well. So, I don't know. I may... I used to have a thing when I when I had more time to, like, take lunches and stuff at work. I'd read a nonfiction at work, and then I'd kind of just keep a fiction book, like, around for leisure reading. Something, something pretty easy to read doesn't take a lot of effort. Yeah. I'll tell you something, uh, some, like, old Louis L'Amour books or something. You want to talk <laughs> about just a mindless, yeah. quick read. <laughs> I haven't read any any of his books, and I feel like I need to since I enjoy westerns. Uh, my stepdad. Y'all have any recommendations? Anyone? Y'all or I don't. I tell you what. Uh, one thing I've seen at my local Barnes and Noble here is they have short story collections. That's probably where I would I'd go try to find something like that. Because that's what got me into Stephen King was reading his short stories. Very. Or Barnes and Noble is now in Aldi. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Your local, uh... <laughs> Y'all have any bookstores? Yeah, we got a bunch. We don't read down in Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go in them right now, man. It's all shut down. <laughs> we can go in ours, actually. I'm going to try to go at some point today. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I think the longest book I've read is Atlas Shrugged. And you want to talk about a fucking marathon, that book's like 1,400 pages. But it's pretty good. Uh, It's by Ayn Rand, or however the fuck you say it. And uh, it's just a... It's an economics book at the end of the day. Uh, That's about... There's there's three or four main characters uh, that are all big, like industrialists. Uh, there's a big banker, steel guy, a railroad guy, and like a real estate guy. And basically, the government's trying to come in and, and suppress capitalism. And it's kind of, you know, just a book about their fight against against uh, those policies. And then uh, who John Galt is kind of the mythical character all through the book. You may have seen bumper stickers and shit around that says, like, who who is John Galt? Uh, that's where that, that's where that comes from. But it's a good book, but you better be ready to dedicate some time to it. I bet it's 500,000 words. I'd be curious to know. Google. (laughs) Jared, what kind of running shoes are you carrying around nowadays? I have... uh, Oh, wait. Atlas Shrugged is 562,000 words. Wow. That's significant. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead, Jared. Uh, Right now, I have three pairs of Hoka's. Hoka One Ones. Uh, I got a pair for trail running, Speed Goat 3s. Another pair for a little longer distance. What I ran in today, the Hoki, Hoka Arahi series, and then the, the Hoka Rincons, which are good for going fast. That, that's, that's what I'm running in. The Rincons make you faster? Feel faster. I don't know if there's any, <laughs> if they make me faster, but they're light. I feel like really we're like fourth and third graders. 
third graders on the playground. Dude, <laughs> yeah. Just all New ass shoes making you faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to ask because last week you were shitting on me and John for wearing Brooks. Look, I'm not. I wasn't shitting on. Me. I was just. I was just wondering if you're sponsored or something. I'm not. No, 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 no. Look, I ran. I ran in Brooks for. Five years before switching to Hoka. So I'm, like I'm Hoka not really pick. shitting on him. I'm not really shitting on him. It's just, I, I don't know. Maybe we had to get away from him. He said the reason, you said the reason that we don't run is because we were broke. I might have been shitting a little bit, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Put a pair of Hokas on your feet and it might change, change you know. I'm not this wearing anything on the Mahi Mahi. Mahi Mahi. What? Uh, no, it. What I like about them is they have a lot of cushion to them. I love the cushion. And they have that meta rocker bottom. So, like, your transfer is, is, is seamless. It's not like. Sure, remember running in Brooks, and it could have been because I wasn't a very good runner. Still not a good runner, but I've gotten better. It it's just feels like you're slapping the pavement. It could have been because I was a hill striker back then. Back in the day. Back so what's the uh, I'm gonna ask because I know this is something that is a concern to John. What is the level of drop on the Hocus? So uh, their their shoes are four to five millimeters. What's John, what's, what's the Brooks? Brooks uh, are like eight. My Calderas are four, which is what I like. I also wear Nobles on our, like our just everyday shoes, and they're four, and I really like them to take a lot of pressure off my knees. I've been meaning to give some Nobles a try. I uh, Maybe that'll be what I go to next. Brooks Caldera is the worst shoe I've ever owned. Just Brooks what? Caldera. Just <laughs> personal opinion. I was a marathon runner, and then I put on Brooks Caldera's, and I haven't run a 10K since. So You're saying Brooks you like ruined the Cascadia, your life. Right? Yeah, I like the Cascadia is the favorite, my favorite shoe I've ever owned. And I like the ghosts I've got okay. Also, Brooks. I uh, Brooks, I've been trying to get y'all's attention for a long time. Maybe this will do it. Uh, it. It seems like a lot of a lot of the companies now are moving more towards that, that meta rocker bottom. Which is what? Which is, it, it kind of has has that curved uh, sole. Yes, yeah. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like a lot of the Nikes now are moving towards that. And I've thought about it. Trying out Nikes, but their drops are like nine millimeters plus, and I'm not Jeez. trying to go back towards it. But I don't know. I wonder. So, what's the benefit of a drop? This where you strike. <laughs> I think supposedly the the smaller the drop, the more turnover you have in your feet. So your cadence. Would be a little higher, a smaller With drop. With a smaller drop. It, but you're also using, you're stressing and putting more strain on your. That doesn't. It sounds bad, but I don't think it is. I mean, it's not negative. You're just using different muscles, your your calf muscles, with the with the lower drop versus a higher drop shoe like like nine plus. You're going to be using your calves less versus a shoe with a zero to five. If that makes any sense. What uh, what muscles would be more engaged on a higher drop? So on a higher drop, so you would be taking, it would probably be focusing more up on your, 
larger muscles up up top. It basically, it's it's just the way your the angle your foot is is taking the pressure off of your calves. And a, a lot of people running a lot of the faster marathoners, they're they're using a higher drop shoe because you're able to maintain muscle stamina longer. And your big muscles. Yeah, and you're using your lar- your larger muscles like quads. I couldn't be completely wrong about that. I'm not an expert in shoes. I'm just I'm wondering if maybe going back to a higher drop would help get me going again. That's that's kind of what I was trying to get at through all of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you what, have you tried on any other shoes that you're running for? Dude, I I have tried on every pair of shoes in that place. What I'm real peculiar about is the arch area in the shoe. And if I'm not comfortable, then I won't buy them. Period. I don't care about anything else, usually. Yeah, you gotta have that. I mean, if it feels weird in your arch, it's not gonna feel good right? when you're running. And I like, <laughs> you know, walking around in the day, I wear Sanooks or dude shoes, and I almost wonder if I should just, you know... That's why I think the Nobles would be good uh, for me to try running with, because I don't like a whole lot of bullshit going on down there. <laughs> <laughs> have you... Have you about ultras. I mean, they're zero drop, but they're pretty minimalist. You've been walking barefoot too, right? Are you still yeah, there? yeah. When I walk my dog, I walk barefoot. Not really. I mean, you might really like the sidewalk. Ultras. Ultra. Yeah, A L T R A. There's another brand that does some good minimal shoes that I bought before. Uh, they're called Scora, but they're kind of screwy. They're going through some kind of transition right now. They've been out on the market for like three years but they're coming back I've been trying on their I've been wearing their running shorts a lot Scora I didn't even know they made shoes (laughs) yeah I mean that's how I got started on them is their minimalist shoes I really like them they're expensive Mm -hmm. uh, like even even a lot of the minimalist shoes now are starting to go are starting to move towards that higher stack height. Like not the drop, but like how much foam you have underneath your feet. I, I don't know. Like I I love I love me some cushion. Feels good. <laughs> I don't know. Well, have you ever hit an acorn in a minimalist shoe? No. It hurts like hell. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm glad. I mean, that's, that's where the phone comes in. You get that you get protection. Like, I don't know how people are running, you know, trail marathons and ultras and, like, minimalist shoes. Like, I feel like you're one stepping on one small pebble from getting taken out the entire on oh, no. maybe maybe I'm just a pansy, but you know I have to have some something to guard guard my feet. So in Born to Run, that whole book, the whole premise of it was it's better to run barefoot than with cushion. None of that mattered to you. Well, no, I mean I, you can take some of it out of it. Like I think, I think your form is better. I think your form is better running barefoot. I think it's good for you. Like since reading that book, I walk around barefoot. Like if I'm at the house or just you know around here, when it's socially acceptable, I'm I'm barefoot. Like I, you know, like and I'm taking Same off here. shoes and and just like working out. Just you know, 
I'm, I'm, I'm barefoot. Like, I think there's a lot of benefit in that. But if I'm going on a long run on concrete, I'm, there's some foam underneath there, man. <laughs> I can understand that. I stay barefoot around the house as well. It drives everybody crazy because you got some nasty ass black and shit. Oh, yeah, they're nasty, man. <laughs> I'm proud of it, though. <laughs> Um, so, Jared, are you a four-foot striker? Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at any video in a while, but I, I'm, if you look at my shoes, like, you can see, I don't know when it's happening, but I'm definitely heel striking at times. I, I guess I, I couldn't tell you right now. <laughs> I, need a, I need a little... I need <laughs> someone to take a video. <laughs> your, oh, yeah. your form changes throughout your run, you know? Like, your form's probably better... At the beginning of your run versus the end when you're getting tired and, you know, start shuffling a little bit. I, uh, something I notice when I walk, my feet are out like the, I don't know what it's called. My toes point outwards. Duck-footed. What is it? Duck-footed. Duck-footed, yeah. And so, I wonder, I've never really seen myself running, but, like, in my Sanooks, you can tell, you know, because I'm out, I land on the outside heel. Mm-hmm. And then I wear holes. I wear holes in my shoes under my big toe. Always. Every pair of shoes I've ever had, I've worn a hole under the big toe. And so, yeah, I roll over. So I've always wondered if if I was able to fix that. I don't know how the hell you would other than just being conscious of it all the time, if that would help my running any. But I don't know if I run that way. I've never really taken the time to do any research on it. Supposedly, having your toes out would be, is the best way to hike uphill, according to uh, Steve Ranello. So I've been doing that when I'm hiking, is going duck, but I'm pigeon toes, so I've been forcing my toes out when I'm going yes, to Yes, are. Yeah. I also wonder if being duck-toed has any effect on my posture, which is horrendous. It's not that bad, Barry. It's pretty bad. Look, this is how I sit all day, every day. You too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm due for new running shoes, so I'm going to I'm gonna kick over to the local running shop. They're even open still, yeah. eventually. <laughs> If I can string together two weeks of runs, I'll go, but... You should experiment. You should at least try on something that isn't, isn't, that aren't Brooks. I do, man. Try on everything. Every time I go. Put on some focus, dude. Wider hocus, like the Arahis. Put on the Arahis. I don't know if I want to wear it. They call them Arahi. Trail shoes. Huh? Does Hoka make trail shoes? Hoka? What the fuck? You should see this 10 9. The speed goats are trail shoes. Yeah, dude, those things are weird. Jesus, it's got like a, the, these ten nines have this heel that like ex- extrudes from the back, like yeah. six inches. They are ugly. What the fuck? Two hundred fifty dollars. Don't get those, Barry. Don't get those, Barry. Supposedly that helps if it, like when you're on the mountain. Like running downhill. Okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't see I, that sticking around very long. Maybe it will. I don't know. If someone took a risk, I, I can't blame him for that, but it did not work good. 
Look, Hoka, they came about whenever the whole minimalist thing was starting to make its way. And they kind of went opposing ways. I was about to say that nothing seems minimalist about this to me. No, they're not. They're not. They're not at all. I might bump six feet with some of these things on. <laughs> and, like, uh, they don't they don't look... I mean, their stack height is huge, but, I mean, they're really stable shoes. Hoka, if you're listening. I'll tag them. I'll tag yeah. them in the Instagram post. <laughs> the Ultras look a little more my style. Dude. Some, I've tried on Ultras. These Solstice ones look pretty nice. I like to get a shoe I can run. I run on trails every chance I get, which is about two or three times per life cycle of a shoe based on my geographical location. And so I like to have something that's a good middle ground there. You know, the Cascadias were good for that. Do I, John? Can you go run at your mountain bike park? I can. Uh, I just don't think it would be very enjoyable running. Why? What's the over there? Just a lot of bikes? No, it's uh, it's real. Uh, uh, I mean, it'd be it'd be fine to run on. You know, there's just there's some parts. You know, just uh, it just kind of I don't know how to explain it. You know, just going up and down that aren't really trail running is more just motocross. Right. Yeah, things like that. And, uh, you know, there's parts where they just have like a little, you know, the trail will be going and then they'll just kind of do like a like that just to sort of, I guess, add some distance. If you go look at my Strava map, you can see it, I'm sure. But no, people do run out there. I mean, and I've thought about it. It's got uh, there's like 15 miles of trails out there. Oh, that's cool. There's it's fucking rattlesnakes everywhere though. Apparently, I hadn't seen any yet, but I on Instagram I see pictures of them every day. People posting, so I was paranoid as shit last week riding my bike out there. <laughs> but no, I, if I was oh, if I was training for a trail run, I would for sure be going to run out there. But like uh, we're gonna go to Rio Dosa at the end of this month. I'll run out there for sure trail run depending what kind of shape we're all in when we go on our on our trip i wouldn't be opposed to getting one in yeah dude that's some some high altitude training there maybe just a little 5k or something (laughs) (laughs) got a uh i've got a hour and a half run scheduled that day that saturday but i can move it just get it man yeah man but Don't want a monkey out there. I'm on an eight-hour hike. Yeah, that can offset, I'm sure. That would definitely offset it, 100%. I'm down for, like, that 15-mile hike up to the Pecos Baldy or something like that. I think I can be ready for that. Dude, where... Out and back. Where were we at? So, we... Pecos Baldy, we could have gotten there from that same trailhead we took off to Catherine, right? Yes. Okay, I thought yeah. so. Yeah, so this is on the, to the, I think it's treacherous. It's on the same 24-mile loop that you were looking at. It's just about halfway there. Okay. Or a little more than halfway. And you can see it from uh, the, if you get up on the Baldy. My uh, fun fact about my mother, her and my uncle, uh, after they graduated high school, spent three weeks backpacking the Pecos Wilderness. Wow. Hiking from hiking from lake to lake. Thank you. Three weeks. Might have been two weeks. That is insane. 
I'd like to have the ability to take two weeks to go do some shit like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that that trailhead right there is, is like the main trailhead for that side of the. I remember because where we got all forest. we got all turned around in that one spot because that's where it started forking off. You know, it yeah. was before it was where we saw the one person the entire hike. Yeah. That's where the trails. Yeah, good on her for being out there by herself too, man. It's also where we heard that growl. (laughs) Same. (laughs) All fucking. I'm bringing a gun with me this time. I'm not fucking around anymore out there. Uh, Arm with a fly rod. There was there was that point, and then we got turned around again when we were starting to get closer to Lake Catherine. I remember. Yeah. And I, I think some of that, I don't know, because the map had a certain mileage and your watch is telling us a certain mileage. And I, I don't think they were the same. And I think when we came to forks in the road, we were we were looking at the wrong. <laughs> the wrong fork. Some of the probably. forks. And we're like, oh, damn it, we made it. We did make it. <laughs> and I've got a Garmin now, so we won't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> Not a fit bit. <laughs> <laughs> Counting your steps is mileage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shit on Fitbit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, if you can't tell, the trip that we discussed in the last podcast has now been booked. Woo. I will not disclose what date or place. <laughs> Even though if you're a loyal follower, you probably know generally the place. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a good time. It will be. It is my singular fitness focus as of right now to be ready for whatever we decide to get into while we're out there. Which, uh, man, I did good. Go rafting one day? Yeah, I'm in. Something. I'd like to get on some kind of water somehow. Very sick. How far is it to that? Did you find anything on the Chama or just the Rio Grande? There's something on the Chama, too, with that same company. I didn't do a whole lot of research into it. I think it might be. Uh, But it seems like it's... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the Chama might be a little bit closer, but I don't know. I don't know a damn thing about once you start branching out too far from that general cabin area. It's hard to know how far anything is. FedEx man just a bed <laughs> to the house. Uh, got, I got anything else? So I should try ultra shoes. That's kind of what I gathered from all that talk. I'm not going to wear Hoka's. I don't know why. I just don't got a bad feeling about it. Why? I just, I don't know. They don't appeal to me visually. Hey, you, if you got to wear what looks good to you, man. If you don't, it's just like, it's like inside. looking at a putter, man. It's like looking at a putter. You got to like the way it looks. <laughs> On your golf ball. You're not putt worth the shit. You're not going to run worth the shit. But That's right. Try the Altris. Altris, whatever. Well, I may swing by there at some point. Okay. Swamp Fox by John Aller. Alone on the Wall by Alex Honnold and whoever actually wrote it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> naked Economics, Naked Statistics. Charlie Whelan, and if you listen, provide me your feedback on reading one 1,200-page book versus six 300-page books during the same time period. <laughs> no other business appearing. I think we can adjourn the meeting. Everybody good? Yeah, sounds good. Adios. Adios.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Until next time, you can support us by liking us on Instagram at bourbon underscore bookshelf and by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast. Talk to you soon.